This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Detroit is the greatest! Straight up light you on fire for a Coney dog right now. What up, everybody? It is another edition of the Motor City Sports Rant on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Jason Jarvey. Follow me on Twitter, at JarveyTheKing. With me, as always, my good friend, my host, the guy with all the phones, John, the Doc Macaroon. What up, dude? It's great to see you, Jason. It's always good to have you come into the studio and do a recording of the Motor City Sports Rant. It's always great. Hope everything's been going well with you over this past weekend. Yeah, it was a uh, celebrated my first Father's Day. Congratulations! So it was a good weekend. Had a lot of fun with the kid, with the family. Uh, but we have another guest in studio. It's the first time in a while we've had a third chair in here, and I want to welcome in editor in chief of the Athletic, Craig Custance. How's it going, sir? It's going great. It's going awesome. Thanks now, for having me in here. This is exciting. The Athletic I love the setup. The Athletic just launched today, right? It did. Like. Literally this morning. Just this morning. You, you flipped on the lights. <laughs> yeah. And nobody, everyone came, everyone flocked to you, right? Well, yeah, so far it's been overwhelming. I, like, honestly, last night I didn't sleep well at all. You just, you never know when you're taking a leap like this, what the response is going to get. Be Especially when you're talking about a subscription model, paywalls, stuff that people get a little bit nervous about in on the internet, but... Uh, the people of Detroit have been unbelievable. I mean, you guys should see the emails I'm getting and Twitter's just blown up. And I just, the, the city is, I think they're ready for something like this. So tell the listeners a little bit about what The Athletic is. Yeah, in a nutshell, The Athletic, uh, Detroit is the fourth city. It's a um, su- subscription-based app and website um, for sports news. And um, essentially, we are trying to do something that's different than the local media we're we're you know we're gonna have a staff covering all the games and all the all the uh teams but we're not doing the traditional game stories traditional notebooks that kind of thing we're really gonna try to find some deep dive analysis um find writers who excel at telling different stories than people normally get and i've watched it work exceedingly well in chicago cleveland toronto with um, a pretty interesting mix of your traditional writer and sometimes you have bloggers, sometimes you have film breakdown guys. You have it's, – it's like the place where everybody goes. If, if they have a unique story to tell and a unique way to do it, then they're finding a home and an audience. The reason why I found your story so fascinating was it appears that you were going into it. You were a journalist, mm-hmm. a writer. You've had a lot of great you know, jobs, mm-hmm. great things covering the NHL and great work. But then you started noticing the trends in your field, and you started realizing, wow, each and every day or each and every month, you started hearing rounds and rounds of layoffs. Mm -hmm. People weren't secure in the journalistic field, and you started realizing, okay, maybe there's an opportunity to try and do my own thing if I can do quality work. Tell us a little bit about the theory about why you wanted to start your own project. Really, I joined ESPN six years ago, and 
it was my dream job. Like I was, you know, part of a hockey group with Pierre Lebrun, Scott Burnside, uh, Katie Strang at the time, Joe McDonald, Scott Powers now in Chicago at the Athletic Chicago, and it was unbelievable. And we had this great team of writers. And I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to do forever. Like I found it, and ESPN is the destination. Like where do you go from here? Um, it's every sports person's dream. It's a, it really it, it, it was like I it was my dream job. I got I got every break you needed to get there. I I mean it was just it was awesome, and I loved it until my final day two weeks ago or whatever it was three weeks ago. But I, you're right. You start to see trends, and you I saw what happened. You know the the you, we've all talked about the layoffs at ESPN. The, over you know around 100 people got laid off and you know thankfully i wasn't part of it but everybody around me especially in the hockey crew was and it made me really think about think really hard about the model and what works and what fans want and fans really crave really good local coverage and um maybe even more so the national coverage i would say and and um and this the the founders it's a silicon valley group the athletic and they reached out and I was certainly attentive to what they, and they made a great pitch and I'm, you know, completely on board, obviously. Now you're an Eastside guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, in, in Sterling Heights. My wife uh, is from Gross Point and I'm a Michigan mm. State grad. So yeah. What high school? Gross Point? She's from South. Oh, she's South. <laughs> Are you North? But, no, no. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm in East Detroit, man. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Now, yeah. All of us here, Eastside guys, and we started this podcast project. Did you always know around the time when you got to high school or when you entered Michigan State that you wanted to be a writer or a, a writer slash journalist? Yeah, for sure. I went to Michigan State. I uh, was a journalism major there. Great school. I didn't know if I wanted to get into print or TV or radio, so I did a little bit of everything at Michigan State, thankfully, because by the time I graduated, you had to do all of it. I mean, you guys know it. So you're, you're writing, you're podcasting, right. you're on, you know, I, I would at the end, doing sports center, like whatever you need, you can't just do one thing. And and Michigan State was great for that. Um, I honestly, I thought I was going to be a baseball writer, and um, went down to Atlanta to the Journal Constitution and, and dove into it there and talked to a lot of the baseball writers and saw that may be the hardest job in in sports media is a baseball beat writer. I saw firsthand like how off, how long they're gone and the challenges. And you know, I've got a wife and now three kids, and I'm like, oh, maybe they, <laughs> I can just be a baseball fan. And, right. and 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 once I got into the hockey world, it was just a great fit. Like I I, it, I know it's a niche sport. I'm coming from ESPN, where hockey it wasn't at the top of the food chain, but the hockey world itself is unbelievable in terms of developing sources and and relationships with with players, management, fans. It's just this tiny world that I really loved and enjoyed and it really just took off from there. Now, earlier this year, I don't know if you got caught up in the whole Darren Ravel kind of situation where he was kind of talking about a little bit about kind of the journalistic field and breaking into it. Yeah. And one of the things that he said that sparked a nationwide debate and everybody talked about it was like, look, he was kind of commenting on, you know, coverage about using AP writing. And he had said, look, why would you use, you know, an AP writing situation when maybe you could offer the job to somebody for free? and maybe get yourself noticed by doing free work. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of kicked off this debate about, you know, sites, you know, fields, you know, companies kind of using journalists in, in a way that maybe, you know, um, is taking advantage of journalists. What was your take on that? And do you feel like potentially that journalists slash writers are being really taken advantage of in some situations in the field that you're in? Whew, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. I, I would say... Um, there's no one path, right? And and it's funny, like, I'll go back to Michigan State, and I'll speak to a class, and they'll say, oh, how did you get where you are? And I'll tell them how I got there, and that path doesn't exist anymore. Like, you're not you're not going to go to a major metro in, in a city and, you know, do the prep speed and work your way up. Like, that just, that world doesn't exist. Those jobs aren't there. 
I think, you know, if you have a strong voice at 21 and you have a blog and you have a different way to tell stories, do it and get your voice out there, get heard. It's just, it's going to be different for everyone. Thank God I didn't have to at 21 because I was a horrible writer at 21. Do you think interns should be paid? Do I think, yeah, I think, I think writing, I mean, look, I'm working for a, a, paywall uh, subscription model. I, I think all writers should get paid. And I also know that's not always realistic. And so I, I, I'm not one to judge paths because I just think, it, like you, you'll see when we fill out the staff at the Athletic Detroit, you're going to see it, we're going to have some very traditional you know, names you recognize. Okay, this person came up through that route that we all know. And you're also going to see this person was came from the blog and is completely non-traditional. And I think there's room for everybody at that table. So with the, the Athletic Detroit, it's going to be everything based Detroit. What are your what are your goals? Are you looking to just really focus on the four major sports? Or are you going a little bit out? Are you going Michigan, Michigan State, and even into the colleges? Yeah, we'll go. We'll go. Um, definitely Michigan, Michigan State to start. And I think we're going to go wherever the audience kind of demands it. And I I wrote a welcome letter today and just said I, I asked if you're subscribing. The next thing I want you to do is email me and let me know what you want to read about and who do you enjoy reading and if you're paying the five bucks a month, you're my boss now. I, I, it's not. There's no other way to do it. There's no middleman anymore. Like these, the, the sports fan is the reader, is the is the boss here. So if they're saying, "Hey, I'm really interested in Wayne State football" or something, you know, nobody goes covers that really well, and and we start doing it, and people like, I'll go wherever the people demand. And that's definitely a. It's totally different than anything you get at ESPN or even just the local papers. Yeah. You get what. The, you're dictated by the fans. 100%. And, you know, and I think part of that is I, I, I've been really reading the emails today. There's some frustration from the fan bases, and, and I've been there as a writer, but they feel like sometimes writers are beholden to the teams. You're beholden to access, and I have to deal with that on a daily basis. You're, you know, you're not going to crush the person that you have to go interview the next day. There's a fine line, but I think I think what this market really is looking for is is uh, some honesty and, 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 and having a voice, and we really are hoping to provide that. Now, what was your first um, writing experience after college? Oh, going back. So, yeah, I uh, graduated from Michigan State. I, so, yeah, you guys know how it is at school. Like, you have the people that are the super ambitious. Like, they have a million internships, and I was, like, the opposite. Like, I, I you know, waited tables in the summer and realized I was graduating and didn't have anywhere to go. And just on a fluke, there's a um, woman named Shannon Shelton who now works at the University of Dayton, had an internship at Atlanta Journal-Constitution, she was she was the person that did everything right. She lined that up months in advance. Um, was unbelievable. Had worked at the news and for, like did a million things and was great. And some she just let me know someone dropped out at the last second in the internship at the AJC AJC in Atlanta. And she's like, you know, you should apply now. And I had somebody make a couple phone calls on my behalf and just just fluke, right? Like you need those breaks along the way. And I know. I, I know when I got into radio, it really just kind of was a. I started at Detroit Sports one hundred five one, yeah, which unfortunately folded. Uh, but I knew Tom Manzaway, the one of the executive producers there, who my wife actually coached his daughters in volleyball, right. and I was like, "It's like, oh hey, I, I kind of want to get into sports radio." And he's like, "Yeah, come on, just you know, intern five days a week." And I got in and I got my break into radio. I mean, yeah. it, would you say that a lot of getting into the business, even nowadays, is it's kind of about luck? Oh my gosh. It, well, it's two things. It's getting that break and then capitalizing. Like once you get, uh, once I got into Atlanta, I realized what a break it was and was do whatever they wanted. Uh, you know, I got in as like a web producer and, but I was like, look, I, my dream is to write. And so you need somebody at that cross country meet uh, five hours away. I'll get in my car right now. And, 
And so it's it's then capitalizing in, in it's having that break. But it was the same thing for me. It was like my internship coordinator, Michigan State, worked at the Free Press with the person in charge of interns in Atlanta, and it just was you know it was all these lines that were connected. And then and but I mean I guess that's the same way in any business, right? Or any, you you're hired because of networks. And I mean, and every job I got was not because it was posted. It was because I knew you know I had a relationship with the editor or whatever moving forward. At the time you were covering the Thrashers, what mm-hmm. was it like in that market? Because here in Hockey Town, I mean, we absorb a lot of information from yeah. a lot of different sources. We know Jason and I and all the staff here. We know, you know, the hotbed of hockey here in Hockey Town. What's yeah. it like covering the Atlanta Thrashers in that market? Because most people think like towns like LA, towns like Atlanta, sometimes maybe aren't the hotbed of sports and especially hockey in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, it was, but for me, so I got that job. That that was my first professional sports beat was covering the Atlanta Thrashers. And it was really a great um, way to break in because it wasn't so high profile. Like I could screw up and it was, it was okay. Yeah, but you're not covering the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not covering the Montreal Canadiens or the New York Rangers, or the Detroit Red Wings. And, and, uh, but at the same time, um, there, it, it was great for networking and working in a room because there, there wasn't a ton of media. So you could develop relationships. You had, you Every interview was a one-on-one, you know, you know, the kind of access you just don't get anymore. And I that that benefited even after I left left Atlanta. The relationships I made with players and people in the front office and the training staff, stuff that I probably wouldn't have been able to do in a more traditional market. I mean, that paid off for years. Still does. I still I called somebody today that was in with the Thrashers organization. For, that's a source and. It was a great place to start, and it was a great place to develop a network. By all accounts, everybody that talks about hockey guys will rave about just they're cool dudes, mm-hmm. easy to talk to, and if you get a chance to build a relationship with a hockey player, it really is worthwhile because overall, most hockey players are nice guys. They are. I mean, you hate to paint with a broad stroke. There's, you know, I'm sure other sports are nice guys, but I, you know, I in Atlanta got an opportunity to cover all the sports, and uh, just the the hockey players are they're super down to earth and. I mean, you see, the Swedes are the nicest guys in the world, and the Canadians <laughs> are super polite, and all this, all the kind of cliches that we make are are, are true for the most part. Yeah, there's you don't feel, um, you know. I, was, I remember in Atlanta, like for, when I was covering the team, I was driving an old like uh, Ford Ranger that was like ten years old, and I'm parking in the players' lot next to their Mercedes, and like, but they never would give me a hard, you know, they it was because they were driving those five years previous, you know. Were the Atlanta Thrasher jerseys the worst NHL jersey mm-hmm. ever? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Do you have I, any gear from them still? My, I just switched my Twitter picture today with the job change. But right before, I had, my son has a had a Thrasher's jersey. The, the, they weren't attractive. I'll, I'll grant you that. But it brings back a good memories. I mean, how many people have a Thrasher's jersey? Yeah, right. My favorite thing ever was when I was covering them. Um, Chris Chelio signed. I, I don't know if he signed or was traded. I've long forgotten. Played like 15 games for the Thrasher's randomly at the end when he was hanging on at the end and. They had uh, St. Patrick's Day where they they had the warm up jerseys, so they have a green Thrashers Chris Chelios jersey that they're auction- and I'm thinking I'm like I should be buying this right now because where else in the world are you going to find a Chelios green Atlanta? You could send that to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm sure <laughs> maybe it's there. I don't now, know. Now you said early on you made some mistakes. What were some of the common mistakes a young journalist makes on the beat covering the Atlanta Thrashers? Oh. Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I think I had a my biggest challenge was finding the balance between writing for the casual sports fan in Atlanta who didn't know a lot about hockey and the diehard hockey fan who maybe was a transplant from Detroit or Pittsburgh or New York. And so 
you know, there'd be days I'd have to write the story, what happens to the hats when they get thrown on the ice? And, you know, meanwhile, the power plays over the last 30. And that fan is like rolling their eyes at me. And so I, I, you know, that, that to me was the biggest struggle was, was trying to placate a couple of different fan groups and, and realizing that sometimes you're not, you know, you just can't please everybody on, on every day. Um, and, you know, I think when you're first starting out, you're, uh, you know, I treaded lightly. I probably wasn't as hard on the team as I, you know, you, you don't want to come in and just start crushing people as a 20 year old or whatever on a beat. And, and like, I look back and like some of those teams were pretty bad. I probably could have been <laughs> a little harder on them. Who were some of your mentors growing up, people that you wanted to be like, or some of the role models that you aspired to be like when you got into the working field? Yeah, I mean, I grew up reading news in the free press and just devouring that. That like, I, I remember my mom getting mad because I would just spread it out on the floor and like the ink would get all over the carpet. And I, I loved reading all of that. And, you know, every single day, all the same coverage that a lot of, I mean, a lot of the people are still working there. And it was it was always a thrill to come to Detroit and sit in the press box with some people I grew up reading. Um uh, in Atlanta, there's a couple of writers that were, there's a writer named Jeff Schultz, who's a columnist, who was the first ever Thrasher's Beat writer, incredible writer, really funny guy, um, has a sharp, he can carve a team, but do it in a way that's fair, you know, and it, like he was so helpful. And that's what, I mean, you need those mentors, right? That, that he, you know, he shared who I need to be reading, who I need to reach out to, don't bother with this guy, call that guy. Um, and it was just so invaluable to me, a guy that, you know, really tucked me under his wing. Now, what was it like going from the Atlanta journal constitution, then becoming the national hockey writer for the sporting news 2008? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a big jump. I mean, um, you go from covering one team and now to every single team. And the biggest challenge doing a national beat is, is having some depth to your coverage, right? Like you're parachuting in. A lot of, t- you know, and, and the fans, you know, they, they don't want to hear, you know, the national guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. So you, you, I felt a lot of the biggest challenge was going in and being able to tell a good story that the fans in that market wanted to read. And and but the the trade off is is doing the beat uh, on a national basis is you get a lot of access you might not otherwise get. You get more time with the coaches and the GMs. And that's where I was able to, you know, really sit down and, and dive into things and, and be able to tell different stories than and the people were doing locally, but that took, it, it takes a while to do that. And it took a while to learn the league. And, and, you know, you're so, um, I mean, the beat writers here will tell you when you're covering one team, you're talking, you know, you know, the whole, you know, Grand Rapids, you know, the Red Wings, you know, who's a right hand shot, left hand shot throughout the whole organization when they were drafted. And when you start to pan out, uh, you, you know, you've got to learn that for every team. And like that, that was challenging. Is there, you know, one beat that you, or one, one story that you just broke that you're like, that's the that that that's my crowning achievement in writing so far at least. Yeah. Oh man. Um I'm trying to think of of uh of a good one. I you know, I I think being in Atlanta there was a couple um and I was young and so they probably meant more to me. Uh, I mean, you guys remember Marion Hosa getting traded at the trade deadline to the Penguins, getting that, getting having having just started the beat, you know, being able to, you know, text with Marion, get updates from him. I can tell you, I was sitting in um, the Montreal, at, uh, the Marriott there, the Chateau Champlain in, in Montreal, where the team was staying. I'd set up shop in the lobby um, because you could see, like, if players got traded or something, they would leave. You know, they, you'd saw, you right. know, you're, I was basically stalking. You know, <laughs> let's let's be honest here. And so, was able to break that trade, which meant a lot because you're competing at that point nationally with other people on deadline day, right? And um, and I'm just a kid starting out, and then was able to kind of get the basics of it, right? You get it in pieces. You don't get the full trade. You get hey. I've been traded the, you know, whatever. There's right. been a trade. I'm going here, or this guy's going there. 
and then you end up piecing it together especially on twitter you like you can see like i did it the other day i'm like here's the trade oh this guy's also in it it's like that's just how it is as you kind of gather information when you're breaking stuff and so marion gets traded and pascal dupuis walks into the lobbies wearing flip-flops and kind of weird because they're he was he should have been napping on a game day and he's on the phone and i walk over and i'm like hey he uh pascal did you hear about marion crazy on huh? he goes i'm in that trade I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me uh, Good to know. Hold on, I'll be right back. Let me get on uh, online and, and try to get that in there. And and so I was able to, you know, tack on that little bit of information. And um, it's just crazy. Like I love that competitive nature. You know, where you're just where you're hunting stuff and trying to get information. And and it's so hard now with Twitter because you break it for 30 seconds. Yep. And I know there's fans out there, and I think it's a debate to be had. Like who cares? Who breaks what? And and maybe it's only the writers that are keeping score. But I. Just the competitor in me, I enjoy. I enjoy doing that stuff. Are there any players or coaches that got beef with you? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything that you can discuss here? Man, I'm trying to think of of anything that I could share here without getting anyone anyone in trouble. No, because a lot of times you just you won't hear from them, right? Like you know when they're mad because all of a sudden the text. Oh isn't gosh getting, darn it! I'm mad at you. Yeah, the text isn't coming. You know they're not getting back to you. And does it and, involve just the the release or critique of bad information that you write in the paper, or is it sometimes where you might have creatively edited something where you might have taken it out of context? Or what do you think is the biggest source of athletes' frustration that gets uh, get, gets them pissed off with the writer? Um, I think if you get too personal, like which I try not to ever do, and and I think that's why I've been able to maintain pretty good relationships. I just keep I, I try to do a very honest analysis. Even like so, today we ran a, a piece on Ken Holland, and I know there's some frustration with the fan base and 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 Ken Holland, and I really just said, and who knows, maybe he doesn't like the story, I don't know, but I just really tried to say, okay, here's here's what he's doing, here's what his plan looks like, here's my honest opinion of where it can work and where it can't work. You know, I'm not going to take any personal shots. I'm not going to say some, you know, whatever. I'm not. I, I'm not a guy who calls for anyone's head. I just really try to do it very late on the table. I try to report it, talk to as many people around it as possible form opinions and then just be honest with it because i think the fan knows if you're just repeating what the source wants you to repeat i think fans are too savvy for that no doubt about it now you're talking about sources and that's kind of one of the topics that has been a hotbed for i think the better part now of a couple years and around town we can relate that to the whole jim harbaugh saga when he Mm -hmm. first came to michigan you had national writers saying hey you know, there's sources telling me that Jim Harbaugh is going to stay in the, in the NFL. Why would he come to Michigan? And then you had the other side that were like, no, no, we got information. We got sources that are telling us he's coming to Michigan. Yeah. And so everybody's kind of talking about the reliability of sources, cultivating sources, or using even the word, hey, I got this information per a source. And just right. recently the other day, Stephen A. Smith and um, um, Stephen A. Smith was talking about sources and being like, no, put your name on it. You know, don't be mm. one of those people that says those kind of things. And so what's your opinion on source information that's used in reporting as journalists i look i would like to have everybody go on the record and say here's what's happening but if if you want to break news even if you want um an honest analysis and maybe other sports are different but i can tell you in the hockey world you're not going to be able to get guys on the record to do it and um you know it's if you want to be able to break stuff if you want to have insight that other people don't have you're just gonna have to say you know according to nhl sources this is going down or the red wings i'm gonna write a story tonight the red wings are in on a player that, you know, who they may be shopping. And people, you know, the GM from another team isn't going to say, hey, go ahead and say, I told you, you know, if you really want the information and you really want to hear what's going on out there, you have to source it that way. Do you feel like the skill between knowing a source that has an agenda or maybe trying to tell you information to skew 
you know, what you're going to write or to put things out there with an agenda. Do you feel like that comes with experience? And have you been burned by sources that you had to kind of backtrack and be like, look, I got to retract what I said. It was just, is just totally wrong. I don't think I've ever been way. I'm, I'm conservative on stuff. So just by nature. So um, I'd rather pass on a, on a scoop than be wrong. And I, I can tell you, there's nothing, there's no worse sick feeling than breaking a story and then having that 10 minutes where nobody's confirmed it or no, you know, no one, in the, because you're like, then you start going, oh my gosh, what if my source is wrong here? And what if, or like, I've had times where I'm like, what if somebody was, it was a wrong number and then someone was just messing with me or, and which is that? Cause I, I'll, I'll tell this story. I, I've never told, um, Brian Campbell, defenseman in the league was, I, there was a trade deadline or a free agency where he was the big guy. And I'd had a, I had an old number for him in my phone that I didn't know was old. So I'm texting, Hey, I hear you're, you know, Mike, oh, it's just for the reason that I'm like, I hear you might go back to Chicago on a discount. Oh yeah, but don't count out Buffalo. I uh, love the Sabres. And I'm like, boy, that's done that up. That's not <laughs> what I, and I, and I text back again. I said, the Sabres, I, oh, Buffalo's the best. Sabres number one. And I'm like, really didn't add up to anything. Wouldn't, didn't make sense for the Sabres. And then finally I checked with someone else that I knew, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, is this the best number for Brian Campbell? And they're like, no, that number is three years old. And so then I text back and the guy's like, ah, oh, I was trying to see if I could get you. But you, like, like that would have been a disaster if I came out and said, Hey, Sabres, Campbell leaning towards the Sabres. And, and, uh, so you, you gotta be so careful with this stuff. So now it's 2011. It's not too often we have somebody who has worked at ESPN in our midst. So what's the process like going from the sporting news to ESPN? Did they court you? Did you put out feelers or how does, you know, Craig get to ESPN? Uh, yeah. So the, the beauty of being at sporting news when I, when I was, it was really trying to, um, I, they gave me all the resources I had. I ever would have needed to travel anywhere to, to go anywhere. They were really trying to reestablish themselves as a national brand. And, and it, I completely benefited from it. I was at every GM's meetings, every, every Stanley cup final, and you know you develop those relationships, but you're also able to to do your job really well. And and because of that, ESPN was looking. Uh, EJ Raddick had left. He had worked for the magazine and gotten hired by NHL Network. Um, they had an opening there, and I had had relationships with people there. And they actually somebody from uh, Atlanta that was kind of uh, in management, and and so they you know we sat down and I remember having a, a dinner in Boston covering the. I forgot what Stanley Cup final Bruins Canucks whatever year that would have been with with uh, editor at ESPN and it just went from there. One interview or two? We did one interview and okay. but then after that and it wasn't even it was like dinner it was, here's what we're thinking and it was great and and then after that it was it never goes as fast as you want right like it's okay you you get a call a month later and then you know you're when do I tell my current employee I'm even or employer I'm talking to them and it was just, and I like I remember it went well into I think it was September when I signed and. So we're talking about Stanley. So June to September were conversations where I was fairly confident it was going to happen. But um, it, yeah, I remember thinking it took way too long <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Now we don't have to go so into eager. detail specifics, but what yeah. kind of things go into uh, an agreement between a writer and ESPN? Like how, per, you know, a number of articles, the job yeah. title, what kind of things go into what you're going to do in your role as a, now an NHL reporter for ESPN? It was interesting because at the time, I mean, this is really like inside baseball, but it was it was a contract job. We were technically the writers were freelance, and so it was you. It was a day's contract. You worked two hundred. I think it was two hundred days, which you blew through halfway through the season. So it became almost like an honor system where okay, <laughs> I'm going to blow through my contract, and you know, and then give me the summer off. Yeah. And and they were great about it. They were all, but then I think at some point. HR, somebody's like, you know, it's probably not a good idea to have these guys signed to contracts that they're clearly breaking. And, and, um, 
and so we they made us full time employees in the next next one over and and uh, and what goes into it, it you know it's it's um it, it, you you talk about what their coverage plans are I think you know travel for a writer is important especially at that you know how committed to covering things are they and and uh, but I mean it was I was I was just honored that they were having mm-hmm. those conversations with me. Now, in terms of professional growth, do you sit around like every three months and go over some articles that you've written in terms of like, hey, you could have did this in this spot better, or we look for you to kind of advance in these ways? How do you grow as a writer within a system as large as ESPN? Do you have like, you know, regional editor or how does that work? I'm a big, um, I do two things. I'm a podcast listener. So I, I do a lot of, um, you know, leadership podcasts or, or writing podcasts. And I read a ton of, besides just doing it for my job, reading sports coverage, I, I read books on writing. And like Stephen King has written a great book uh, on writing that is that, you know, that every writer should read. And I'm just a nerd, like I'm a journalism nerd. So I love all that stuff. So I, I, yeah, I'm a big personal growth person. Like I'm, that's part of the reason I'm doing this job is because I, I was like, I was really excited about something new and challenging. And that really got me excited to, to do something. And it's scary, but that means you're, you know, you're, you're living, right? Yeah, from the journalist I talk to, either the biggest pain in the ass or the biggest ally you have is your editor. You mm-hmm. know, your working relationships with the editors at ESPN, did you get fortunate to work with those that were like, look, you know, constructively criticizing or did you have some challenges dealing with, you know, editors? No, they I, seem to yeah. be an interesting breed of people themselves. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah, thankfully. I like I can tell you the editors, my editors were all great. You know, I, what I liked best was I they gave me a um a lot of autonomy and there was a lot of trust there and in, in, in terms of what I was going to write and the topic and even length. And I think that that builds over time, that trust between a writer and an editor. But I, I had it with virtually every editor I worked with at ESPN. Um, I, there's, you know, for the stuff that goes online, there's less editing than I probably would have liked just because of the, the nature of the beast. Like the editor has to get through a million stories. And, and so like, you know, the, the writer and you wants everything to be, crafted and and let's let's go over your lead and and sometimes you just the reality is the workflow you don't have that and then when they do change your lead you get mad so i guess (laughs) (laughs) everything gets cut then you're like hey wait no don't edit my stuff yeah now you're the editor of theathletic.com what is your role going to be day-to-day in this website what are you going to be doing you know to enhance Mm -hmm. the product and what is your role with the athletic yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, I, I'm the editor, so right now I'm in the process of hiring writers, um, editing copy, but also, I, you know, I'm I'm taking on the Red Wings beat at the same time, just because it's it's my field and I feel like I can do it pretty well and kind of a control freak. So I'm just and I'm competitive, so I want to dive into that and and kind of establish myself in this market on that beat. And uh, so I'll be you know writing and reporting Red Wings, hiring staff. Editing. After this, I have to go edit a few stories that we're running tomorrow from. Um, a couple really good freelancers because we're still hiring. Um, so we're going to lean on freelancers for the first week or two. It's so yeah, it's a little bit of everything and promoting, you know, promoting the work and doing the radio and TV and whatever else goes with it. So do you have one tip that you would give to all those prospective journalists or somebody who's trying to break into this field? What's the one tip that you can give them to make their stuff just stand out above everyone else? Well, I can. I'm, this is fresh in my mind because I'm trying to find writers, and so I, I can say what I'm telling the people I'm talking to is we're trying to find somebody that is creating unique stories, and and that looks a lot of different ways. But it can be film breakdown, it can be an analytic story, it can be a well sourced story. But you know, my advice to any writer is make sure there's 
your voice is distinctive and try to find a niche um, that isn't being done or that makes you different. Being the millionth person to weigh in on the, you know, on Brad Osmus, your opinion really, you know, it's it's hard to to make it doing that. It's a little bit. Right. And I think, I, like, I'm completely out on hot takes, like all that stuff, <laughs> I, you know, like... I think there was an era where, you know, bloggers, it was probably a good, you know, if you had really strong opinions, it was a good way to to kind of make a name for yourself and writers. I think I'm not, certainly not, like, there's a lot of people that are guilty of this. And I just think fans now with social media and Twitter and clickbait and all that, they, I think there's people just, they just want really good stuff that's just not some off the cuff opinion. So if I'm a writer breaking in and, and I'm, you know, I'm looking for these writers in this market, you know, it's, do something unique. Put the work in. Rewatch the game. Try to find an element of the game that wasn't broken down well, and and do that. And I think fans like it. And I know you know people looking to hire people like it. You got smarter fans, so you need smarter writers for sure. And you know, it's I can tell you, it's 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 easier just to kind of mindlessly go to the game, write the story, go to the press conference, write what the coach said. I've done it a million times, and and but that does you know that's that makes you dispense. You know, you're not indispensable if you're doing that, and. And if I'm asking, especially with the athletic, if I'm asking readers to pay for it, it can't be you know a rewritten press release or a press conference. See, how do you address those in the field? Because, like you said, you notice trends, and you started noticing like sites like the Detroit News, Free Press, all their writers' stuff is available for free. Mm-hmm. So there's a plethora of information, especially sporting wise, that we all can consume for free. How do you tackle the notion that look, if I can get it for free at the Free Press or the News? What is it about, you know, a subscription service that you think can, you know, work? Because yeah. a lot of people are used to, and a lot of journalists are saying, look, you know, the reason why we can't continue and thrive in this field is you're giving away our stuff for free. So how do you think a subscription model can potentially change or work given the fact that there is so much free content? Yeah, it, it has to be different and it has to be better. So how that looks is going to depend on the writer, but you know, I had a uh, lunch with a writer today that I really want to hire, and and um, he who's being asked to do a lot in terms of production for kind of the traditional thing. You know, you have to churn out a lot, and it's like, okay, how about we scale back instead of writing fifteen stories in a week? I'm saying, give me five really good ones, and spend an extra day at reporting it, or finding another voice, or finding an angle. Um, and then I think I think the fans appreciate that, and it's harder to do, and it's harder to find people that are good at it. But I can tell you, the fans appreciate that and they want it and and yeah so it's that's what i would say and, and i believe me i worked at espn my stuff was a lot of stuff was behind the paywall at insider i heard anytime i tweeted out hey why are you doing this it's behind a paywall you know i can get this stuff for free and and i you know, for six years i really made the effort to try to offer something that was different and fans you start to get a following you get to people that say okay this person's putting in the extra they're making the extra couple calls there's information here i haven't seen elsewhere that's it's a higher standard when you're asking people to pay for it. You know, did you have to kind of go through over the, you know, go over all this with the misses and say, look, I got a job at ESPN. It's a good job. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if, if I have the opportunity to do good work, there is value in that. And that's what, you know, working in America is all about. If you do good work, you should expect that the compensation will be there. But inherently there is risk like, Hey, you know, I got kids, I got mm-hmm. bills to pay. And so I think a lot of times people do have that fear of going into a new project because of the fact of, Hey, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. But I tell people, look at the same time, what if it does hit? Yeah. Then I'm now creating my own vision and being a trailblazer in the field of journalism. Whereas I can be anybody saying, you know, the field of journalism is whack or there's trouble or things like that. But I went out and created a, a solution to a problem that I saw. 
yeah, no, I mean, I'm scared to death. I don't know. There's no guarantees it works. And, you know, I walked away from a guaranteed, you know, guaranteed contract. And that that's, that's a very scary thing. I, thankfully, my wife is, she's unbelievable. She's supportive. I would say the biggest thing they're upset about is, um, Working for ESPN, you get free Disney passes, and uh, oh, <laughs> I've got oh. it in my pocket still. Like you just, it's a wonderful thing. You just scan your thumb and you walk right through the gates. Did you uh, grab any like free like Disney World passes on the way? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. We, we they let us you, you accumulate <laughs> PDFs of tickets over the years. So I was like scurrying to print those up because I like. You know, everyone says what they want about ESPN. I loved my time there. I loved, I love working for Disney. We took advantage of it as a family. So you know, that was. My wife is completely on board with it, but she's like, "Oh man, to pay pay full price to go to Disney now." <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, a lot of money. It's a lot of dough. I don't know. How, like, I'm looking at people. I'm like, "How do you? How do you? You know, come you in like here? have to spend. You have to save up for like an entire year. Yeah, and that might not more. No, I know. And so my kids are like, "Oh, let's, they're just used. Like, let's go." And I'm like, "You guys have gone three times in three. Like, I went once in twenty years of my life. Like, you guys, this isn't how it works." <laughs> So you know, obviously, a lot of people do not do what you're doing. What was it for you that said, okay, I'm going to take that leap of faith and try to create something, even though there's no guarantee that it's going to work? I don't know. I, I like. I, I think being um, it's it's certainly ignited the passion to. I, I think having a little bit of uncertainty in what you're doing is pro- probably a good thing. And um, I can. I, I'm. I have a book coming out in the fall, and one of the things that the whole premise of the book is, I sat down with. 10 coaches and we watched the game they won the Stanley Cup and with it together or um, in Mike Babcock's case it was the gold medal game in 2010 like I'm not saying I quit my job because of Mike Babcock but we sat like he's one of those guys that you sit with him he's very motivating and he has no time if you like you, you know if you if you don't like your job quit your job and and you know and I'm, I remember talking to him and he's just like you know imagine imagine not being fired up to go to work in the morning and imagine not, and you know, it, it, he's like the life. You're, you're thrilled. You're, you're most motivated when you're not certain of the outcome. And I and I sat there and went, okay, you know, that that appeals to me. And and um, it's again, it's scary. I don't know how this is going to play out. And um, but I do have a lot of faith in the founders of the of the company. These two guys in Silicon Valley who are just brilliant tech guys. Uh, I mean, they're, they're well funded too, which helps the, which helps the case. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's that thrill of trying something new. You said you sat down with ten coaches. Which uh, who's your favorite coach to sit down with? Um, Obviously, I mean, yeah, Babcock, we have ties with the Red Wings. Mike Bab, Mike, like Mike was the best, uh, and and I mean that with all due respect to all of them because they were all great and they all gave me a lot of their time to do this. But Mike, um, I think we share the same sensibilities where we're we're trying to get better, we're trying to do new things. Um, like he's one of those guys, if you sit and say, Hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm reading, uh, this book and he gets a pen and he's writing it down and he's, he'll go buy that book or he'll have some, you know, I mentioned, listen, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the startup podcast. It's, you know, it's very narrative done podcast. And I mentioned just kind of in passing with him while we're in, he's writing it down and he's going to go listen to it. And he's just somebody that, that just wants to constantly learn. He's just a guy that when you're around, it's, it's, um, kind of, it's, it was energetic. And, and so I, I enjoyed that. John Tortorella was unbelievable too. And because I, I, I didn't know John as well as some of the other coaches I sat down with. And, and uh, so I was a little nervous. We've all seen John kind of go after writers in right. press conferences. So I kind of had a preconceived notion of how he was going to be. I've seen him, you know, try to go after Bob Hartley in a dressing room and want to fight him. So I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, how is this going to be? And I got him in the middle of the summer. We're watching the, you know, the Tampa Bay lightning win the cup. And he was so personable, opened up uh, about, 
you know, how he's treated the media. It was, it was unbelievable to where that chapter, basically I just transcribed and said, here's what John Tortorella said for two hours. It was made my life easier. So he was great too. Theathletic.com is the website. It's subscription-based. So tell everybody what's the pricing and what kind of content can they expect when they do subscribe to theathletic.com. It's probably something I should know, right? They, they ran our special today. I want to say it was, it's like under four bucks a month. And if if you buy the whole year, it's, I want to say it's under 40. And the price fluctuates, so that's why I'm not sure right now because they're running a special because it's launch week. And I think there's a code that if you go to theathletic.com or if you follow me on Twitter, you can get get the launch week code um, to get the 30% discount. Um, but yeah, I, basically what I asked, I wrote a letter today to the fans of Detroit and just said, let's send a message to these guys in the Silicon Valley that this, this market wants some, some, something new, is ready to, to support unique storytelling, uh, unique content, deeper analysis. And I've been amazed at people's response so far. What's been the response? It's been, uh, over, I mean, signing up like crazy, which you just don't know until you do it, right? Like you don't know if people are going to say, and there's no way we're paying for Detroit coverage. And, uh, you know, and not only that, then following it up and sending an email. And it, I mean, I've, you know, hundreds of words of, hey, I've been waiting for something like this for a long time. And, and thanks for giving us a voice. And here's, you know, here's who I want to read. Here's who I don't want to read. The guys like we were, you know, we want we want to be embedded in Detroit and these guys are like, let's, you know, my, my bosses were like, let's give a dollar for every subscriber to a cha- Detroit charity. And I'm, I'm going to let the readers pick. And, and, you know, so some people kind of given some ideas there and the interaction has been, what's been really cool is it's, you know, there's people are signing up kind of on faith because there's only been a couple stories and we're just starting uh, saying we're going to support this. And then they're kind of, then they're sharing why, and it's been awesome. You have any idea of how many are how many articles are should people expect to see daily, weekly, that kind of thing? Um, well, this week is is going to be atypical because it's me and we're, right. you know, we're bringing. There's going to be some freelancers, but I would but once say, you get everything kind of up to yeah. speed, you hike get all your writers. It's going to be growing the whole time, and and really the answer to that is this will grow. It's like the kind of the goldfish that keeps eating until it's you know depending on how big the bowl is. Like we're going to grow this as long as long as the subscribers keep coming, and so. Um, you know, the plan now is to have a writer for every major sport. And as, uh, you know, the subs keep coming as they've been going, we'll keep on growing. And, but I would say this week, you know, 10 to 15 stories, and that's going to be the, that's going to be the low end as we get going here. Now, as a podcast, one of the things that's been the biggest challenge for us is kind of being labeled as non-traditional media. And so, you know, to start off with with us is the colleges have been very welcoming. And we talked a little bit off air about kind of, you know, how we've been working with colleges and then the ability to get access with the pro teams. And so for you, obviously, with writing and developing a subscription-based website, are you going to have access to the professional teams? And are you going to be credentialed media? Because, you know, websites are viewed with a little bit of um uh you know crooked eye from some pr staff we will be credentialed and part of i made sure that was the case sat down with the red wings and had you know had lunch and but part of it is having a relationship with the, you know these people a long time i mean they know who i am i've been dealing with them for a long time i've known ken holland a long time been dealing with him a long so so that was easy and uh, you know when, when we're hiring writers that that's that's you know being able to plug them right in and and have that access is going to be a, a part of it are there going to be hurdles that I don't know yet? You know, it, one thing from working at ESPN is you didn't have to worry about any of this. And, you know, the, people were happy ESPN was showing up at their event. And so I'm fully anticipating maybe people are nice at first and all of a sudden we criticize them and they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't like the athletic anymore. So it's, 
it's I think there's going to be hurdles that that I haven't had to deal with in the past, and and we'll just kind of go as they come. So Red Wings, obviously, you have a relationship with. What about the Tigers, Lions, Pistons, other pro teams? Have they been as receptive as you would like? I can't without giving away who our next hires are. When that when those people have reached out, <laughs> it's been good. So we haven't had any issues on that front. Good to hear. I'm glad. Uh, glad the athletic seems to be on the up and up and. We're going to be seeing some great t- content from you guys. Yeah, I hope so. It's it's uh, it's an exciting time for uh, like I, I'm I'm energized by the passion of the fans, and I'm energized by really trying to create something from the ground level here in Detroit. Theathletic.com is the website. Craig Custance is here in studio with us. Motor City Sports Rant. Now we get a chance to pick the brain of a great hockey mind. What's going on with these Detroit Red Wings? Because <laughs> right now, you know, the news was made and it was broken, you know, regarding the protected list. Mm-hmm. And everybody's up in arms regarding, okay, Wednesday it is. Um, the Las Vegas Knights are going to make their picks. And the first, you know, person that people kind of gravitated toward was, whoa, the Red Wings protected Jimmy Howard and mm-hmm. not Peter Morazic, and everybody kind of was like, whoa, they flipped their lid. Well, and, you know, this happens as I'm writing about how the Red Wings are committed to rebuilding and going younger, and they protect, they protect the older goalie. And, and yeah. I certainly understood the fans' reaction. Um, I'm going to dive into this story tomorrow, but I think you can assume that um, from the outside, you, the easy thing would have been to protect the young goalie, right, if you're the Detroit Red Wings. Absolutely. So um, if they're not doing that, and they're not idiots. Like I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable ruling out that these people don't know what they're doing. Like, <laughs> and I, I'm sure there are fans that maybe won't want to argue that point, but they're not dumb. And so there's there's very there's reasons um, they're doing what they're doing. I think maybe part of it is they have a young goalie in Peter Morazic that they want to see more effort out of. Um, that perhaps this, if he ends up staying on the roster, and my guess is he he probably will. Um, they'll have a goalie who maybe got a bit of a wake up call here in, in, in this. Now, I've seen a lot of mock drafts where they they have the Knights taking Peter Morazic. Yeah. But then I also see when they put out their projected lineup, he isn't he isn't even goalie one or goalie two. Right. There's a lot of good goalies available. Um and I see Mark Andre Fleury, Mark-Andre usually Fleury. number one guy. Yeah, Anti Ranta, Grubauer. Like there's some there's some goalies available. You know, who knows? So a big part of it is gonna be every GM's calling George McPhee right now. So if there's a GM that needs a goalie that likes Peter Morazic, He's calling George McPhee and saying, "Take him, and I'm going to trade him." Like the 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 Las Vegas, their strategy is going to be not let's build the best team. It's who can we take in the expansion draft that we can then flip because all they're trying to do right now is gather draft picks and prospects. So if they get somebody to call on Peter Morazic, they they would be more than happy to draft Peter Morazic and then flip him. Now I can tell you, um, the Red Wings have already phoned those teams before the expansion draft came out in in the list, and they. They weren't able to trade him. So if there was a huge trade market for Peter Morazic, my sense is that Detroit would have already done it. And I'll get with with this caveat: any team that was trading for Peter Morazic, let's say it was Friday, would have had to protect him. And I I can tell you the teams that uh, were looking at him didn't want to protect him in the expansion draft. They either had another goalie or he just wasn't the kind of guy they wanted to protect. So the difference being now. You can trade with Las Vegas. You can bring in Peter Morazic. You don't have to worry about the expansion draft. So perhaps that opens up the market a little bit. Now, this is the first year, you know, the Red Wings had missed the postseason, and it kind of came to a closing era of great success for Detroit hockey fans. But now people are wondering, and, and really talking about all the sports teams around town, the need potentially to rebuild versus mm-hmm. the ability to put a competitive product 
on the ice. And so a lot of fans are debating back and forth the notion of tank and get high draft picks, maybe get the likes of a Connor McDavid or a superstar like like the Maple Leafs, similar yeah. to them. So fans are around town, myself included. We're wondering like, okay, what is the value in continuing potentially to have that streak go on versus, you know what, maybe just sacrifice and have some lean years and then you get those multiple top five draft picks and then you go forward. What is your take on the whole notion of, you know, rebuilding versus tanking? Yeah, I, I love this debate. And and I've had it ad nauseum with people, with fans, with management, with Ken Holland and, you know, we're... I wrote about it today because there's I don't think there's a right answer and my my inclination in covering you know the last ten Stanley Cup Finals is you need a Sidney Crosby or uh, you need Jonathan Taves you look at every one of those teams they have that guy that's at the top of the draft and I don't know any other way to get a guy other than tanking and so maybe it's too simplistic but I think Detroit is unique and this would be this would be the Red Wings argument against tanking is that they have spent decades building a culture of winning in Detroit. And the moment you start stripping things down and you shipping players out, you're sending a message that it's okay to not try to compete. And all that, that lineage that started with Steve Eisenman that got passed down to Lidstrom, that's now with Zetterberg, that goes away. And, and I, and I can see examples of that. You see it in Colorado. That team is now tanking for the second time and they got Nathan McKinnon and Landeskog and Matt Duchesne and it didn't work. Now they're they're going to trade Matt Duchesne and they're going to try to you know they they were the worst team by far got the fourth pick it's it's a disaster and those like how far away do those Avalanche teams feel from you know the Red Wings rivalry days like that's that's from a whole other time um, I think the Devils they've lost you know the same thing they're they stripped it down they're building and again maybe it works out great for the Devils and um, but you know that those are the contemporaries for the Red Wings and the Red Wings are. Very consciously doing it different, and so like what I wrote today is like here's what exactly has to happen right in order to rebuild on the fly, which has just as many questions about <laughs> than tanking does. But it's a great debate, and um, I, and I certainly can see both sides of it. What I don't know is is how much appetite fans would truly have for the Red Wings being bad um, if if it does take if they strip it down and it's that that new arena is a bad product for the next five years. Are Red Wings fans still okay with it at that point? I, and I think the savvy ones are because they can sit there. They'll they'll know who's coming in the draft. They'll know, hey, the payoff. This is this works. But um, not every fan is, is has that mentality. They just want to go to uh, on a Saturday night and go watch the Red Wings play and have something on the line. So, what do the Red Wings need to do to really build up their you know the AHL teams, the mm-hmm. build up their the really the the bullpen? To, yeah, to get them back because I think one of the things that the Red Wings really excelled at back in the 90s when they were getting real good is that they had that talent scouting. They yeah. they were over in Europe and finding all – they found Pavel Datsuk and right. Henrik Zetterberg and finding all those guys Lidstrom and stretching all those guys. crazy late. But now everyone has that. So how do the Red Wings, if they aren't going to tank, I mean, how do they just build that back up? Um, yeah, so <laughs> about today, like – they have this reputation of being this great drafting team, this great draft and development team, and the reality is they ha- they've gone dry over the, especially at center and on defense. They're you know they're not drafting the Lidstroms, the Zetterbergs, and the Datsuks late. What they would argue, and this, there's there's some validity to this, is you counter that with quantity. So you may not get a top three pick, but if you start collecting draft picks and you have three second round picks, um, hopefully those 
good players are still available. I mean, you look at the Nashville Predators, the way their D is set up, there's not a number one pick in that group. These are all end of the first, second round picks. And so I, I think they would argue we're gonna we're gonna just try to load up on picks and hope that, you know, rather than tank, um, we can we can hit in the second round, we can hit in the third round. Where those players are available, you just have to do it. One of the things that, you know, kind of people kind of explore and debate is the whole notion of having a salary cap. You know, here mm-hmm. in Detroit, we were lush with funds and we were able to go out there and build a super team for those that are, you know, know, knowing that word and liking it. The Rings built a super team. They did. And it's now a salary cap era, which puts a lot more pressure on guys like Kenny Holland to put together a team and where if you make a mistake, you're punished potentially for several seasons. Are you a fan yeah. of the salary cap? Do you feel like it's made the league more competitive or less now? Because you do kind of see the same kind of teams with great general managers doing some things. Yeah, I, well, what's happened is it's it's completely leveled the playing field. And it's almost the opposite of, of the NBA where you go into the playoffs and you're like, okay, it's going to be this team versus that team. And you just know it. Whereas, whereas the NHL playoffs, uh, even the regular season, the days of there being two great teams are, are long gone. And I you know, I, I'm inclined to think that's probably a, a good for the product, and and you want fans in every city to think they have a shot. Where I, I think it, it presents challenges for teams like Detroit or the others that are able to to spend um, spend their way out of it. Where I think there's an opportunity is, and I think Toronto does a really good job of this, is they take their money that they might have spent on players, and now they're really pouring in it. Like if you look at the Maple Leafs front office, it's loaded. There's a million people, and They've got an analytics staff that's, you know, they've got Lou Lamarillo and Shanahan and all these guys and, and you know, the Hunters. And they, they brought in everything you could possibly bring into a front office. And that would be, I, I you know, that would be one thing if, if I was running the Red Wings and whether or not you're tanking or you're trying to rebuild on the fly, I would say, look, we have the Elch's money here and, and we're not, you know, we can't outspend on our salary cap, but we can bring in maybe – uh, a full-on analytics staff and and whatever it is and try to find some edge even if it's incremental and, and build out your front office that way and and they would argue you know they, they do that on some level in Grand Rapids They're, they've got a pretty big staff there and and you know they it's not like they're not spending money but I would just blow it I would put so much money into to development in, in the front office. Little Caesars Arena is going to do wonders. Are you excited mm-hmm. to potentially get in there and see what everyone's talking about? Because from everybody that's been in there, you know, they've done a lot of great media tours. Everybody that's in there has just been like, wow, they have really put together something that the fans of Detroit, the media are all going to say, oh my goodness, look what we've built here. Yeah. Little Caesars Arena. It looks great. And and um, I've been in out of town a couple of times. They had the kind of the media tours, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I It's, you know, I think this... This town is ready for it. I mean, Joe, I love Joe Louis Arena. Unbelievable memories there. I grew up in this area. Um, but, you know, by the end, you're like, okay, you're trying to compete with these teams that have unbelievable arenas. You're, if you're trying to hit in free agency, which the Red Wings would like, you know, I, I'm sure there's some targets down the road of, of high-end free agents. You have to have that. And, um, I, you know, I, I am excited to see it. And not to you know, not for nothing, and none of your listeners care at all about this, but the press box was brutal. At Joe yes, Lewis. <laughs> and that, I was actually just about to ask you: the media box at Joe Lewis is essentially just uh, a bar mm-hmm. with some with some high chairs. With those and you high get chairs, some yeah. popcorn and maybe some pop. Uh, was there is there another media box <laughs> around the NHL that's worse than that? No, no. I'm trying to think. That which the, there's one. I think it's Calgary that has the crazy catwalk. But that you have to walk over. But no, the Jolos. Not only that. So you're sitting in those those high chairs, and you're just getting. Anytime anyone walks by, you're getting bumped in the back. <laughs> uh-huh. And there was always that seat that had like the column where right. you had even less area to work. And I always felt like if I wrote something they didn't like, I got put in that spot, even though it was all in my head and I imagined it all. 
Um, and I remember one night Scotty Bowman got that seat and I'm sitting here going, here's the greatest coach of all time. And he's in the hump seat and the Joe, you know, people are hitting him in the back. And finally Scotty, Scotty put up with that for like five minutes and was like, he found a much I'm better go to spot. A suite. Yeah. He's, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm Scotty Bowman. Right? Besides Detroit, what uh, rinks have you enjoyed and just been like, wow, mesmerized by being in, mm-hmm. you know, a great NHL city and a great facility? Uh, Montreal. Montreal is unbelievable. And, and the kind of their the pregame and the the atmosphere leading up to games and what they're able to do is is out of this world. I, I, I get chills um, going to Montreal, um, Madison Square Garden. I mean, I'm just answering the regulars, but they are they're, they're the legends for, for a reason. It's I like love going to the games. big house in Michigan. Exactly. It, it, and, and, you know, Red Wings fans won't like this, but I love covering games in Chicago and the anthem where they're cheering. And You like the anthem with I the like cheering? The, I like the anthem with the cheering. You're not a fan. I, I don't like the cheering. All right. It's it gets, okay. It's all good. I, you, we can have the debate. I'm just not a fan of it. it's. It's weird. We. I went there. I went there for a pregame, and everyone just starts going. Yeah, yeah. They start clapping, and it, it gets a little sense. louder. And and uh, I don't know. I get I, I I get chills when, especially in the Cup Finals, where the fans are totally into it. Uh, it's it's. I, I love covering games in Chicago. And the one thing I my regret about leaving ESPN is I left right before the Stanley Cup Finals. So my the Eastern Conference Final was the last thing I was on the road for, uh, just because the timing of my contract and not being able to go to Nashville like that looked like it was unbelievable to see uh, Broadway and the fans spilling out. Um, it's 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 really fun to some see a non traditional market get caught up the way that Nashville did and get recognized for just how good those fans are there. From watching that finals, Nashville, Pittsburgh, I think Nashville got a raw deal. Because mm. it seemed like Pittsburgh was doing just enough to not lose. Right. And they got all the all the best breaks. And to win the Stanley Cups the way that they did on that, the bouncing goal off yeah. the goalie's back. If I hadn't witnessed Pittsburgh do that for the three previous rounds, I might say you like yeah. If I'm an Nashville fan, you have a complete gripe and and but I like that was I was on the Penguins from from day one against Columbus and they maybe that against Washington. Washington was a better team. Outplayed them almost every night. I felt like to the point where you felt bad for the Capitals because you're like what all, they they would outshoot them by twenty shots and then you know Sidney Crosby would set up Phil Kessel and they would win and and. To me, this this run the Penguins went on, and again, Detroit fans don't want to hear this, but showed just uh, the will of Sidney Crosby. And it's hard in hockey for one player to make a big difference, but he he single handed he put that team on his back and made Does sure they he deserve the all the hate that everyone gives him. I got to be careful because I want Detroit people to subscribe <laughs> to the Athletic. Please do, Sidney Crosby. I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, stuff from earlier in his career. I mean, he you know the, the complaining. A handshake with Detroit. I'm sure if he could do it over yeah. again, he would hustle a little bit more right. to get in that line. Uh, and and but I think Sidney Crosby has matured into a player that I think if you're just a fan of hockey at this point in his career, it might you know just just enjoy watching. He's great. He's he's on. He's to me a top five player. I mean, I'm surprised he time. even really finished out the playoffs. I mean, once he get took that headshot, I was oh my like, gosh, he's done. Yeah, to the point where you had a like I always felt uncomfortable. You don't want to praise him because you're like, boy, is this even smart, right? Like, he, here's a guy with a concussion history, and he's just he's refused to leave the lineup. And when you would talk to him about it, he would say, "Look, I mean, you guys can question all you want, but who knows my body better than me? And and you know, I I, I yeah, I'm not going to do anything stupid here. And I, but I'm with you. Like when I saw those hits, I'm like, oh man, like we're uh, we may not see Sid again, and and he just kept on going, and it took him a while to get going in terms of his on ice play. But you saw it, he got it back at the end of that series, and just kept on going. 
Craig Custance, kind enough to spend an hour with us, sharing stories about his work, great career in journalism, now launching a new venture, theathletic.com. I want to get you out of here on this. I know it's a tough question, but obviously the biggest challenge that I think you may have being online Mm -hmm. is trolls. What do you think Mm -hmm. is the best way for you or how you've handled it? What do you think for young journalists and those in the field? What's the best way to handle trolls? I I like to interact with people. So, and and I always, it's like sometimes I find that the people that are angriest um, end up coming around and end up being an advocate for you. Now that's to a point. Like if somebody is is ugly or personal or like, like you can tell right away, like there's no, there's no reasoning with this person. Right. Um, but like if, if you're mad about something I wrote or you disagreed, I, I, I like to engage and let's, let's debate this. And, and sometimes it never ends, right? It's a string of Twitter messages and you're like, Oh, there's nothing I can say here. That's mm-hmm. going to end this, this conversation. Um, but other times they're like, okay, yeah. And, and they just, they want to be heard. And so I, I would, I would say, you know, if, if it's really ugly, there's no point in engaging it. Um, but but don't be afraid to engage with someone that has a different opinion than you. You can follow Craig on Twitter at Craig Custance. You can follow The Athletic on Twitter at The Athletic, D-E-T, all one word. Definitely everybody out there, go subscribe to TheAthletic.com because if you want true independent journalism and you want people to succeed and you want more of this, then you have to show support. So we're fully behind you know, subscription-based models, obviously here at the podcast. So if you're listening to this, go check out TheAthletic.com. You just hit that subscribe button at the top and I'm almost certain without having read your work just yet to know that you know you can find great quality content. You can tell that you've put a lot of thought to this and that you're ready to kind of change the field and we have great respect for those that try and do that and we wish you the utmost respect and the utmost good luck in terms of you know changing people's perceptions and trying to really make it doing something alternative in the world of journalism so i give you great respect for trying it and i I have a good feeling just based upon the time we spent that you're gonna have a good chance a good fair shot at some good success well i appreciate it thanks for having me this was a lot of fun thanks guys you know time flew by but thanks craig for coming by I look forward to reading your stuff, but that'll do it for this episode. For Craig, John, I am Jason. See you next week. Okay, nice idiot. Uh, f*** you. Bye-bye. Good day, sir. I said good day. All right. Take care now. Bye bye then. Loser. <laughs> <laughs>